0: Hello and welcome to the CSJ's Beyond Westminster podcast where we bring you the real stories from across Britain's forgotten communities. This week the CSJ's policy director Gavin Rice speaks to school home support and Alice Wilcock about the number of so-called lost children who have not returned to school since the start of the pandemic.
1: They'd always always had really good attendance beforehand and then Covid come and there weren't really anyone to help them go through all these stuff that they were going through with their own emotions.
2: This isn't just a problem in one school or in one patch of the country. It's 758 schools where an entire class worth of children are severely absent.
0: these families' homes, we can help them with, yes, increasing their attendance, but, you know, finding out what the root causes of these things are and get them the support that they need.
3: Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to the Centre for Social Justice podcast. My name is Gavin Rice, and I am Policy Director here at the Centre for Social Justice, or CSJ, 100,000 pupils um, are absent more than they are present um, in a problem that we've been referring to in our research as severe absence. And this is based on the most recently available government data following the closure of schools after the first lockdown, um, we really got under the bonnet of the figures on this in a report we released in January, which was called Lost But Not um, Forgotten. And uh, shockingly, 750 schools have an entire class worth of pupils missing or more, according to that research. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by an excellent selection of guests to discuss um, a human story behind this very important and pressing Issue. So I'm very pleased today to be joined by um, Brenda. I will say um, uh, Brenda is a parent um, of a pupil who has uh, gone through a-, a journey. I'm pleased to say now a very positive journey um, on this um, dealing with the question of severe absence. We're not using her real name today, um, but Brenda, we're very pleased for you to be able to be joining us today. Secondly, I'm very, very happy to be joined by Amy. Now, Amy joins us from An excellent charity called School Home Support. We at the CSJ um, operate with what we call an alliance of over 400 grassroots charities that um, really um, get down on the ground dealing with the challenges that people face in their communities, dealing with real human problems um, on the ground. And School Home Support is one of those fantastic charities and we've been doing what we can to flag their work um to government and to really highlight the the amazing things that they um achieve um amy is here from school home support who will be hopefully speaking to us a bit about some of the work that they do and finally i am joined last but not least by our own excellent head of education policy who's the real expert on all things education alice wilcock now alice um I think it's fair to say, broke the story on this question of the uh, 100,000 children and this problem of severe absence and was the real brain behind this report that came out in January. So let's um, get started then. we were, um, This has been reported in the media um, in some of the headlines that you may have seen on this issue as the so-called um, ghost children. But, of course, we know that this is a, a media line written by journalists. Um, they're not ghost children. They are, of course, real children. And these are real families that have been... Um, that have been having to get to grips with this problem um, of serious absence since school closures. Um, But of course, um, there are real journeys of success here. And uh, that's what we're here to to talk about and to celebrate um, today, both the heroism of families and also the excellent work um, of the charity sector that is helping um, redress this problem. So um, initially, we're going to come over to um, Brenda, who is uh, a parent of... Uh, a child who's been um been on a journey here and with this question of um, of severe absence um Brenda, could you just tell us a bit about your story and your journey with school home support um
1: yeah sure um so school home support got involved we moved over, back over to Blackpool um because of lockdown really where we were it was quite isolated i didn't have family over there so then when we've moved over the children had already missed a lot of school but then they went through some stuff emotionally so because of those emotions then caused them to be out of school even more i think so that's where i've had a lot of support from school home support and amy and throughout all the children really not just one of them so yeah it's been
3: amazing that's incredible so your own your own child um, what was their attendance like before you started your journey with school home support
1: um because of covid yeah it was not very good attendance um but they'd always always had really good attendance beforehand and then covid come and then they weren't really anyone to help them go through all these stuff that they was going through with their own emotions. So then since having the support from Amy, it's just helped a lot.
3: Sure, sure. Um, and, and what do you think was really at the the roots um, of, uh, of your particular child's situation? Why were they struggling to engage in school?
1: Um. <laughs> I think just because of the stuff that they've gone through themselves, it weren't stuff that you would just go and talk about to maybe your teacher or something. Uh, They needed one person that would be there consistently, I think. So, and I think that's where school home support helped a lot.
3: Okay, so um, how did you first hear about the work of school home support then? How did they first make contact?
1: Um... (laughs) I think I'd actually rung and just said um, – I think I'd, I'd actually rung thinking that I needed some help or support, so I kind of rung what I thought was a bit like a social worker and just said, I've just moved back to the area and I really need some help and I don't know in which way to turn. They suggested school home support and asked me if I'd like a referral. So, yeah,
3: okay. Okay. I'm there. Yeah, yeah. And so, so talk me through what that process was like then, from first contact. What, what were the next steps?
1: Um, so they come out, um, got to know us a bit more me first, just kind of spoke about what my concerns were, then met both, because I've got two children in high school that were both supported by school home support, then met both of the children and from there it varied so like I know they're seeing Amy in school twice a week um I think it eased off a bit towards the end maybe once a week but I know at first it was quite often um and then the same for me support at home so if I had concerns then Amy would always be my first point of contact that I would ring rather than the teacher or a friend I'd always ring Amy yeah
3: yeah, yeah, and was that um, was that contact with Amy um, in the school setting? We've well, mentioned that, or was there visiting in the home as well? How does it how does it work?
1: Um, well, because of COVID, it was quite hard. So me and Amy first done a lot of our visits on the doorstep.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, um,
1: because we weren't allowed obviously to have people in our homes and stuff. So um, a lot of it was on the phone. Um, I'd often ring Amy all the time. Um, And I think it was just, it varied because it weren't so much just those, because I've got five children, so it weren't just those two that she was supporting in school. It was if I had any questions or concerns or issues across the whole family, um, I could just ring and then from there we can make a plan of what we need to do for that.
3: So there really was a sense of kind of, wrap around backup support and, and and help on actually on a wider range of issues rather than just the rather than just the specific um, attendance question at a time when perhaps many people were feeling quite isolated with with the covid rules and restrictions and so on.
1: Yes, definitely. It was definitely varied between it all. Um, the attendance it, it helped me there obviously because it helped the girls to stay in school rather than needing to come home because the emotions was that much that they couldn't function in school. So, But then, like you said, it was across everything, yeah.
3: Yeah, so, so when did things start to improve then? When did, when did they get better?
1: Um, if I'm honest, it's an ongoing thing. Um, I've seen a lot of improvements with the girls and how from where we first started, from when we first moved back over um, to where things are now. There's definitely been improvements the whole way through. Um, You know, a couple of the children, they wouldn't open up and talk to anybody. And now it's got to the point where they would have happily have rung Amy or sent Amy a message and said, "Um, I need help with this.
3: Well, so there was a direct relationship as well, not just going through you.
1: Yes, yeah, they, they were able to do that, yes.
3: Okay. Yeah. So okay.
1: especially for my eldest, um, yeah, she's got autism as well, so sometimes she didn't find it easy to talk to me. So at least whereas she was able to contact Amy directly. So,
3: yeah, it helped her a lot with that. And and how are you and your whole family feeling about things now? How are, they, how are your kids feeling about their experience of school? Are things sort of... Closer to being back to normal now since school's fully reopened. How are you feeling about things?
1: They're doing really well. Um, The ones in high school, yeah, they're amazing. The little ones, there weren't really any concerns, really. But the bigger ones in high school, yeah, they're doing really well now. Uh, One's almost at the end of finishing school now. So, yeah, when like two years ago nearly, I didn't think we'd get to the point of GCSEs, but we're almost at that hurdle now. So it's really good.
3: Fantastic. Well, um, Brenda, it's so great to hear about the positive story and the, the journey that you've been on, that things are, are, seem to seem at least as though they've got a lot better now. So that's really yes, great to hear.
1: definitely. Thank you.
3: Um, Amy, can I just um, come to you and ask you a few, um, a few questions about, about school home support and the work that you do? So um, based on your work, what are you seeing on the ground? What do you think has happened to the number of children who have become or are perhaps continuing to be severely absent? What's the picture from your perspective?
0: um it's it's obviously worsened since COVID, Um sort of the the pandemic and sort of lockdown has had a massive impact because so many children have been out of the school and learning environments and um, that's then had a knock-on effect on their their confidence their mental health Um so that's kind of what i'm seeing the most of at the moment is kind of that drop in mental health and sort of children and young people needing the support there um, to sort of be able to then increase their attendance in school.
3: So is it mental health um, factors that you think are the most important obstacle kids are facing or are there other issues as well that are keeping them out of school?
0: There are absolutely other issues as well um, sort of you know there can be issues with um, home life, issues with the peers and um, there can be kind of breakdowns between sort of school and home um, and sort of things like that, which we can sort of help bridge the gaps with. Um, but the the main issues currently are with mental health is what I'm finding with a lot of sort of the families I'm supporting.
3: Yeah, interesting. And do you think that situation has got much worse since the start of COVID?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think sort of the fact that children have been in the houses all the time, they've, they're in there that's their safety blanket that's where they feel safe they feel happy and then to be thrown back into normal life and expected to go to school you know just as they were before covid it's you know it's it's a lot to be able to adapt to and to be able to try and get back to that normality again
3: yeah, yeah. One of the things that we keep hearing from, you know, the likes of yourselves but also our other charities um, is, is just the huge unfairness and the huge disparity between the experience of homeschooling for different kinds of kids. So, you know, those those pupils that were perhaps from more, you know, from affluent backgrounds, had bigger houses, more access to devices, perhaps, you know, all the advantages that, um, you know, that, that, that you can enjoy had a, perhaps, you know, everyone had a bad experience but perhaps they had some cushioning there. Whereas perhaps, you know, people that were less likely lucky, had a a much tougher time and it seems as though some young people had a really bad bad time of it um, at home within their domestic context. Um, What sort of things did you see there? Were were there difficult things happening in the home?
0: Yeah, absolutely because there was there was so much kind of unemployment there was a lot of support needed with finances um obviously relationships at home aren't always easy between parents and things like that so so yeah that that's something that we've definitely seen and sort of you know getting help from from food banks and from kind of other local sort of things to help with finances and things like that has been a massive support for families as well um in sort of being able to help them um, sort of managed through through the pandemic so that they're able to support the children the best way
3: yeah sure I mean one of the problems we have as researchers is that the government data on this is is hugely out of date there's always a huge big time lag so we don't actually know what's going on in a sort of statistical way but from your experience are we back to where we were pre-pandemic or is this problem really kind of built in now
0: yeah, no, we're we're not back to where we were before the pandemic, and I don't know, you know, if we ever could be. It's it's had such a big impact on on sort of so many so many families. Um, so you know, there's there's still a lot of work to do and a lot of support that that these children, young people, and parents all need. Um, so no, we're definitely not back to where we were before pandemic.
3: So there's still a long way to go, you think? Absolutely, yeah. Do you think, obviously, we've heard a really positive story today with Brenda and her family? Are there lots of other stories like that? Um, that you know, are there other, you know, is School Home Support doing, you know, doing what it's been done been doing for, for Brenda's family? Are there other, other good newses on this?
0: Yeah, yeah, there's so many good news stories. You know, School Home Support are always promoting us to try and, you know, express all these good news stories that we have and sort of share them with all of our colleagues we're regularly having team meetings to be able to share these stories as well. So, so yeah, there's so many, so many stories um, that sort of have good outcomes.
3: And, and how does it feel when you manage to help a family and um, get to a situation where a child is re-engaged in school and sort of back in the saddle and back engaging with education? It must be very rewarding when you succeed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's why I do the job. <laughs> um, I, I love it. It's it's brilliant. Um, and sort of if you do your you build such a personal relationship with a lot of the children and families because, you know, at the size of the caseload, that's, that's why our service is so brilliant. Um, it's because we're able to give that focus um, to, sort of to these children and families. So yeah, um, I love it.
3: Amazing. I mean, I think a lot of people listening might think, well, why is it that uh, we have to rely on excellent charities such as yourselves? Why is it that schools don't seem able to get on top of this problem themselves
0: they're so busy um you know they've they've got lots of sort of different things to focus on in schools and things like that and sort of having somebody like ourselves coming in externally to be able to pick up on sort of you know children who are struggling with their absence and be able to provide that personal side of things it's it's just something completely different to what the school are able to provide because we can we can give them that time um, to be able to listen to them and help them through, and then also then be able to empower them to actually kind of go on and do it themselves after after we've kind of closed support.
3: Well, that's fantastic, and it really is incredible work that you do, Amy. Um one last question for you, um, because we're gonna we're gonna throw the crunchy policy questions at Alice, but um, I'm, I'm going to come to you first because I think your view from the front line is is really important. If the government could do one thing to try and help uh, sort this problem out across the country. What would you like to see them do?
0: Uh, fund school home support. <laughs> um, you know, fund fund more more of us be able to have our service work throughout the UK, so that you know we can we can get into these families' homes. We can help them with yes, increasing their attendance, but, you know, finding out what the root causes of these things are and get them the support that they need from all the other brilliant local services that must be available throughout the UK as well. And um, so that that would be what I would say is Fund,
3: fund more of us <laughs> well something we always say at the csj is that the work of grassroots organizations such as yourselves is often so much more effective than very top-down government um, interventions so you know really well done all the work that you do it really is inspiring to hear about um alice we're going to bring you in now so alice head of education policy um here at the csj um so t- tell us a little bit about um, your, um, your your take on this problem. I mean, the government's been setting out its plans today and it seems to have taken some of the ideas that we've been recommending forward.
2: Yeah, thanks, Gavin. Um, so I think it's fair to say that gradually over the course of this year, um, the government and um, actually um, politicians more broadly actually have started to engage with this issue of severe absence. People are understanding that attendance is really important, um, especially as schools return post-pandemic. Um, But I think it's fair to say that they've kind of missed the mark a little bit so far. They've announced a lot of um, recommendations around tracking where these children are um, and some money, but it falls short of the scale of need. We we uncovered in our paper that over 100,000 children had become severely absent um, and we really need a drastic plan to get these children back into school.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And from your research, which which kinds of pupils are the most likely to become severely absent? What are the trends that your research uncovered?
2: Yeah, so we've talked about it actually um, already about talking about mental health. Um, Actually, we uncovered that a a horrifying um, group of children in this um, severe absence cohort... Um, have mental health difficulties so they're more likely to have special educational needs but specifically and we found this really worrying cohort of children with mental health difficulties Um, and also it's children who are most likely to have fallen behind as a result of the pandemic um, who were more likely to have become severely absent um, when schools returned and we saw this too that children in exam years made up a big chunk of the children that were severely absent And we were quite alarmed, actually. Um, You know, 100,000 is a a shocking number of children who are severely absent. But as you said earlier, this isn't just a problem in one school or in one patch of the country. It's 758 schools where an entire class worth of children are severely absent. Um, And this, I, I think... People have kind of um, tried to attribute this to the pandemic and said that this is a, a consequence of school shutdowns. And there's a degree to which that's true. I think things have been made worse by the pandemic, though. This was a problem beforehand, and just no one was talking about it. In 2019, 60,000 children were severely absent, and that just simply isn't good enough.
3: Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, analysis there. I mean, isn't it, it was already the case before the pandemic that... Um, pupils struggling with existing social disadvantage were already likely to be several terms behind in their educational attainments. And what's happened there? Has that got worse as a result?
2: Absolutely. So I think it's difficult to say what's happened as a consequence of the pandemic, because there's lots of great researchers trying to figure out the answer to that question. And before the pandemic, children um, who were um, in the most disadvantaged areas were 18 months behind um, compared to their peers. What we're seeing now is that the attainment gap has widened a lot more. So children um, in the most disadvantaged areas are more likely to um, not be getting those vital GCSE grades that they need to move on to jobs um, and education after after school.
3: So um, we've already heard um, Amy th- Amy's thoughts uh, on the solution to to this problem. But as a, as a sort of a, as a policy expert, what do you think the government could be doing at a national level to try and try and tackle this problem?
2: So that's a great question Um, I think the government has really tried to grapple with this in the last couple of weeks. We've got a department for education that really understands the importance of attendance um, and a secretary of state and lots of ministers actually who really understand that absence um, is something we should be tackling head on. Um, They've started off with a consultation and a call for evidence on attendance Um, they're trying to gather what works and we've already done a lot of this work in our original paper that we published in July of last year. they're also wanting to um, include greater data on children um, who've become severely absent. And this is this is really important, I think, um, because, as you said before, we really struggle to get a grasp on the number of children who've become severely absent. A lot of our figures actually refer to last year, autumn um, 2020, and we would love to have more up-to-date numbers, but put simply, they're just not released by government. Um, so these are great steps, um, but they're, like, put simply, just steps. Um, the government announced last week a pilot um, to kind of trial the kind of um, attendance mentors model that school home support um, offers and I think that's that's wonderful but when you look into the details of this it's in one area um, which doesn't, doesn't go anywhere near meeting the 758 schools that we've identified with an entire class worth of children who are severely absent um, and it'll only be able to support a maximum of a thousand children. So they've kind of got the right ideas, but I think the scale of the ambition really needs to be to be ramped up.
3: So, so roughly, how many pupils do you think will be affected or supported by the pilot scheme that has been announced?
2: So it's a three-year bid, um, and it's to support five hundred to a thousand children. They're, they're suggesting it's a pilot. Um, And though I understand that we have to be really careful and make sure that we're always um, supporting evidence-based interventions, there is a strong evidence base already for attendance mentors. Um, You know, school home support, they're far too modest to say this, but actually the work that they do supporting severely absent pupils is amazing. It's got great success. Um, On average, every severely absent child who is supported by school home support um, gains an additional 30 days in school, which is just astounding. So we have lots of great evidence. Um, This is only going to reach 500 to 1,000 pupils in the first three years, um, and that's just not enough. Well,
3: 500 to 1,000 doesn't sound like a lot when we're dealing with a 100,000 figure in terms of our analysis of the scale of the problem.
2: Exactly. And I think whilst they're trying to gather an evidence base, um, this isn't really meeting the scale of need. It's not urgent enough. Whilst we're kind of waiting, more children might be becoming um, severely absent or disappearing from school roles altogether, which is what we're concerned about.
3: That's incredibly helpful and insightful. Thank you so much. And thank you so much also to to Brenda and Amy for joining us today and for sharing their uh, very powerful story with us. I think just by way of kind of um, wrapping up, um, I really like the concepts um, that sometimes talked about of the points of light here, which is that um, throughout the country, there are so many charities, third sector organisations, voluntary organisations out there. Um, really, putting themselves out there and um and um, you know, rolling their sleeves up and getting to grips with the nation's problems in this sense. And sometimes we at the csJ feel as though government really could do more to unlock the power of those um those points of light and the uh, the voluntary grassroots uh, sector. Another thing that we uh, we say and when we're making policy recommendations to the government is multiply what works. And it does seem here as though school home support have got a fantastic model. Um, we've heard a fantastic human story today, but also there's data to back that up as well. It's very clear that there's a concrete transformative effect on uh, on kids' attendance and uh, then all of the benefits that that, that come from that. So um, this really does feel as though it's something which could be multiplied up to uh, to a much bigger scale um, across the country to really kind of tackle the scale of um, this problem, which only seems to be getting worse as the uh, as the months go by. And just a final thought: there is so much talk of backlogs in the context of the world after COVID, but it's very often that that conversation is about the NHS backlog. It's about knee replacements. It's about elective operations. It's about GP waiting lists. And all of that is really important. But I think what this conversation has at least shown me is that there's actually a really serious social backlog of COVID as well. You know, many people, particularly those that were already experiencing some form of disadvantage. To begin with, have had their, those obstacles made even more severe by, uh, by the experience of the pandemic, by the experience um, of, of, of lockdown. Uh, and, and those social problems seem like they're, they're not going anywhere. And it's got to be a serious priority of this government to make sure that it's doing everything it can to address those problems. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time today, but it's been an absolutely fascinating discussion. That's a wrap for today. My name is Gavin Rice and we are broadcasting from the Centre for Social Justice in Westminster. We will see you next time.